Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay and Ellie. And what I remember best about Gideon Jura is letting Chandra attack that Order of Heliod jerk. I'm Lorelai Weissel. I remember Gideon best for his super duper emotional awkwardness because big mood, buddy. Big mood. I'm Brian Taws, and I'll remember Gideon most for allowing the Gatewash to call him Meat Slab. I'm Ashley Barrow, and I will remember Gideon for the fact that nobody read The Purifying Fire, even though it was the best out of the Planeswalker novels. And I'm Carrie Thomas, and I'll remember Gideon for uniting Garuk, Soren, Liliana, and Chandra, and Jace in the Duels of the Planeswalker trailer. <laughs> wow. How did I know? I'm Gideon Jura, and I'm about to die. Hey, and then it happened, though. You you've have to have heard by now, Gideon Jura has passed away. Uh, but first, we'll, we'll get to that. But first, let's talk about news. We got a bunch of news dumped out last week. First of all, if you have forgotten, the day this podcast comes out, the novel comes out tomorrow. So make sure you get your pre-order in or make sure you have your plans to get to the store and buy War of the Spark Ravnica. Yeah, that's April 23rd. So if you look at a calendar and it's later in April than the 23rd, congrats, the novel is out. And if you don't have it, you should go get it. <laughs> we also have web fiction following the character of Rat that begins on May 8th. It is uh, essentially the story of War of the Spark, but from Rat's point of view. That's also by Greg Wiseman, and that's going to be six episodes. Uh, we also have the Signature Spellbook series, timely announced with Gideon's passing, and it features eight Gideon-centric cards. Yeah, I don't know how to describe the Signature Spellbook besides its eight cards, and um, almost all of them are adorning new art. I believe Jay wanted to mention the Black Blade Reforged in particular. So the Black Blade Reforged is awesome because they brought back Richard Kane Ferguson, who did the original Dakon Blackblade art and had been brought back for a promo of Corlash heir to Blackblade. So he apparently gets like a new magic job every decade or so, but <laughs> it was like the one thing a lot of Blackblade fan fans wanted uh, when we first got Blackblade Reforged last year. I also wanted to quickly mention Rest in Peace has a gorgeous uh, statue memorial outside of Akros. And the worship art has great flavor text where Gideon, uh, where it mentions how Gideon never wavered in his faith for Oketra, despite what happened. He didn't believe his faith was misplaced. And it's him, you know, holding up a, a, a prayer, essentially, to Oketra's monument. Yeah, on, on Twitter, Gavin Verhey, who um, put this product together, mentioned uh, the concept for it was Gideon's life flashing before his eyes. So every card is like a moment from his history. There's um, him attacking Bells and Locke, him defending Zendikar and Innistrad from the Eldrazi. It's really awesome. And then we also got the uh, Mythic Edition for War of the Spark announced. There's some cool stuff in there. Two things from that Planeswalker poster from last year appeared. So we're down to just two more pieces <laughs> of art from that that haven't appeared anywhere. Where are they? We still haven't seen the Liliana or the Karn, and I just have no... Where? 
They are our white whale. We are Ahabbing really hard over here over this poster. It's the worst. I hate this thing so much. I just want to kill it. I suspect <laughs> I suspect they commissioned a lot of Mythic Edition art all at once. And that's why it was all ready last year uh, to be put into this poster. But we'll have to see. My favorite piece from this is by far the new Tezzeret the Seeker, where Tezzeret is just like ridiculously pretty in this gorgeous bant vi- i'm sorry this gorgeous esper vista victor dame Minguez, who illustrated it picked up on the um the graph paper skies and the bisected clouds and the white cliff dark navy plain motif from the alara basic lands from esper and it's it's perfect it's perfect also the sarkin unbroken is him in front of atarka and she's the best dragon mom i love it and the Nahiri the Harbinger appears to be that same generic mystery plane that we saw Soren on and were wondering where he was. So next week, we should give you all a heads up. We have a interview with Gavin Verhe, who will be coming on to the podcast to talk about designing a set around flavor. Uh, I will not be here for that cast, but it'll be a lot of fun. And I can't wait to listen to it. Yeah, it's going to be great. If Gavin does really well, we're probably just going to replace Jay forever. It's <laughs> a <little> brutal. <laughs> Last thing we should mention is, uh, obviously, the novel comes out tomorrow. We will not be talking about it until the week after the interview with Gavin. It should only take about one episode, because a lot of the story beats have already have been spoiled. But we'll be talking a lot of novel-specific plot points and working through like characters and characterization it's going to be a lot of fun yeah i'm excited let's move on to flavor gems of war of the spark act three technically not act three because we got like three more act two spotlights before uh at the beginning of the week the first is pledge of unity which is just kind of a, a generic moment where where uh all of ravnica is starting to band together against this threat uh, Deliver Unto Evil is just a fantastic, gorgeous-looking Seb McKinnon piece, uh, which essentially just uh, it, it just depicts all everyone playing into Bolas's hands. It's it's very metaphorical. It's the Akbar piece because it's the one that shouts to the audience, "It's a trap." And then we also have the Elder Spell, which is kind of the the finale of Act Two when everyone realizes, hmm crap this is not going how we thought nicobolus actually has this other plan so the elder spell is this this ancient bit of magic that nicobolus has picked up that will give him phenomenal cosmic powers but it needs to be fueled by many many planeswalker sparks so his whole plot has been building up to luring all these planeswalkers to ravnica yeah, there are 36 in the set, but the story itself features probably hundreds. Um, there are lots of Planeswalkers who just die. And and for what it's worth, like, for every Planeswalker out there doing hero work, there's probably a hundred that just, like, kind of travel around. And those people probably don't do so great against armies of killer zombies. Um, so So this art specifically shows... Two planeswalkers already dead, and and Scarfy, our intrepid hero, getting killed uh, by an Eternal. And uh, really, I'm really gonna miss Scarfy. 
he's he's up there with Icy as one of the best planeswalkers that we don't actually have a name for. Maybe one day they'll they'll get their uh, their day in the sun again. So now we move on to Act Three spotlights. So our first story spotlight for Act Three is Spark Harvest, um, which shows uh, Domri is no longer with us as his spark has been harvested unfairly before his time. And the flavor text reads, With the harvest of Domri's spark, the Elder Spell began to fuel Bolus's ascension to godhood. Um, I think he's fine. He's fine, right? He, he survived it, yeah. I think, I think he's gonna get up. <laughs> he's super dead. <laughs> and the other card uh, with that is Soul Diviner, which uh, shows Domri being like picked up by the throat by an Eternal. And the flavor text reads, as the Eternal's cold fingers tightened around his throat, Domri realized the kind of master he had rushed to serve. I am naturally unhappy about this turn of events. The one thing from the set that I didn't see coming kind of was a gut punch. Because I stand. No, I feel like without any kind of stories leading into War of the Spark, it was very, very difficult for anybody to get a characterization of Domri, because in, in the end, flavor text is just going to be flavor text, and without some kind of story showing his maliciousness, I think a lot of people, their only experience with Domri was, oh, he's working for Bolas, and he had like those two web fiction stories before, and now he's dead. And yeah, he's sort of just like, oh, he's the cute teen planeswalker, because we've known about him for, uh, you know, years. He's just never done anything. And now that he finally does something, he's on the bad side, and then he dies. It was the worst thing he could have done. So that's just, that's the worst. I will say it, it makes more sense in context if you read the novel. Well, we have to wait. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah basically what i'm telling everyone is just just wait till tomorrow you can judge for yourself but we can't all just read the novel whenever jay i know but i'm telling you all i hate all of you all right oh you think i'm still going to be angry and sad probably more so if i'm still sad i'm going to come for you jay personally and blame you so our next spotlight is Niv-Mizzet Reborn. So Niv-Mizzet, uh, we see Gateway Plaza. There's flavor text talking about how the guilds are able to use that spot where the chamber of the guild pact used to be. And then we see Firemind's vessel that Niv-Mizzet had left behind a plan for his resurrection. And then we see Finale of Promise, which is Niv-Mizzet at the height of his new resurrected powers. Um, and then we don't see much else of Niv-Mizzet in this, but he does appear uh, a lot more in the novel and plays a, a, a pretty pivotal role. So then we have Storm the Citadel with Niv-Mizzet reborn and everyone's morale restored. The unified forces all attack Nicol Bolas's Citadel, and this is right around the time of the trailer for War of the Spark that everyone saw with the In the End cover. So this is kind of that moment, and we get this montage with Gideon where he has this uh, trust, the card Trusted Pegasus. He uh, adopts this mount in a very 
God, what's the name of the Greek? Perseus. Uh, very In a very Perseus-ish manner, he is, of course, riding a Pegasus because how can you have the Greek plane, Greek mythology plane guy do anything but ride a Pegasus in this epic finale? But then God, Oketra, uh, God Eternal Oketra fires an arrow and this divine arrow strikes the Pegasus and Gideon goes falling to his doom. Well, except he's invincible. And he gets unlikely aid from Rakdos himself. This is the best moment in the story. When I was, when I was first learning about this, this was the moment where I was like, okay, what the heck is Rakdos doing this whole thing? And then out of nowhere, they're like, oh, by the way, Gideon's going to ride on Rakdos. And Rakdos is going to, like, save the moment. I'm like, yeah! This is now, by the way, the second time Rakdos has saved Ravnica. But not on purpose. I think he just wanted to tangle the first time, yeah? Maybe he has a secret crush on Gideon. (laughs) He doesn't. Also, why is uh, Rakdos not a vehicle in a set? That's objectifying a sapient creature person. How dare you, Brian? That is unethical. But we just called Gideon Beef Slab. Is the Weatherlight not sapient? I mean... No. It's pretty clearly a character at the end of Apocalypse. Take that up with the Apocalypse apocalypse (laughs) design team. (laughs) Moving on to the next next plot beat. So, on top of Lord Rakdos's fiery mane, fiery crown, he leaps with the black blade, and we see this from two different angles. Once in the main art for Gideon Blackblade, where he's thrusting downward, and you see the shadow of Rakdos behind him. And again, in his Planeswalker deck card, Desperate Lunge, which we mentioned the other day as being the end of the story. Uh, guess what? We were joking. That wasn't true. <laughs> and then, bam! He cuts across Nicol Bolas, ending the Elder Dragon for all time. Except that's not quite what happens. In Tyrant Scorn, we learned that, gosh, picking up your ultimate weapon from the house of the lackey of the big bad you're trying to slay? Maybe not the best of ideas. (laughs) Gave them just enough of a taste to make them think they had hope. And the flavor text, this is one of the best pieces of flavor text. I mean, honestly, this whole set has some of the best flavor text in all of Magic, but this particular card says, the hero with the magic sword slays the dragon, not this time, Nicol Bolas. And what's great is that it's both making fun of the trope, because, you know, that's a really big trope in fantasy. But it's also referring to Nicol Bolas's first death, against uh, Tetsuo Umezawa, who had a magic sword and defeated Nicol Bolas by tricking him into leaving his body behind as he ventured into the meditation realm. So I really like that callback to Nicol Bolas's original death, and it's also very timely due to the end of the story, which we'll get to in just a second. So the next spotlight is Command the Dreadhorde. And it uh, kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with Finale of Eternity. Because this is the moment where Liliana looks at Gideon and thought for a second 
he might actually kill Bolas. She might actually be okay. But he fails horribly. And um, this is when she has the realization, look, everyone I know is going to die. Nicol Bolas is going to become a god and rule the multiverse. And that is just not an end that A, I'm happy with in general, and B, want to be complicit in. And she finally takes this moment as her final stand, where she takes the reins of her life back into her control. This is what we saw in the set trailer from PAX East, where she takes command of the Dread Horde and turns them on Nicol Bolas. She assembles forces from all over Ravnica and says, Hey, Dragon, deal is off, coming for your face. So, the price of this betrayal in the name of the card is we have finally reached the moment from the trailer Dak Faden is dead moment of, pa- moment of silence F to pay respects you can't press F with your words people sure right. you can F is literally <laughs> a letter J <laughs> price of betrayal is that moment where Liliana turns on Bolas she's had enough and the demonic contract on her skin begins to just disintegrate and tear her apart Gideon having failed over and over to kill Bolas he's tried during hour of devastation he's tried with on the pegasus and poor the pegasus got impaled by a divine arrow he's tried leaping from Rakdos himself a being known as the god demon and he still could not beat Bolas. I really like this moment. There's a lot of potential controversies and issues around uh, Liliana's agency in this moment and whether or not Gideon should have sacrificed himself. But I like this moment because Gideon's problem, since we first met him in Magic Origins, was that he wanted to be the big gosh darn hero. And his arrogance is what led him to try and attack a god way back in his origin story, which ended up with all his friends dead. And he's kind of lived with that survivor's guilt ever since. Now, I wrote a pretty big thread on this that I'm not going to repeat the entire thing here. But what I do want to say about this is that being the big darn hero is just a very toxic attitude and it was very self-destructive for Gideon it's what caused him to be split between Ravnica and Zendikar for a long time before even asking for help when he discovered Jace was a um, Jace was a planeswalker way back at the beginning of this post-origins arc and this has just been the way they've set him up for a while so Gideon after failing again and again and realizing he's not going to be that big darn hero, he realizes he doesn't have to be. I really like Gideon's triumph because it acknowledges that his triumph comes from not how many enemies he's defeated, but the people he saved along the way. And that's really important because Gideon's most important moment is saving Liliana Vess from the price of these contracts. 
And so Gideon uses his invulnerability aura, whatever you'd want to call it, and extends it to Liliana. I want to call it the Aegis Shield spell. Regardless, the contract leaps to Gideon and kills him instead, eating away at him and just causing him to completely, essentially, disintegrate. Just going to go out there and say the metaphysics of this contract are blowing my mind. Clearly, Bolas also needs to learn a little bit of something from Davriel Kane about wording contracts. <laughs> uh, the counterpoint to this is that Liliana is significantly older than most of the other characters. She has had a long time to work through her personal problems of selfishness, and she's had a long time in the story to redeem herself, become a good person. Gideon, despite his flaws, has ultimately tried, been trying the whole time to help people and be the good guy, even if it is in an arrogant way. So do I think that... So the counterpoint is, do I think that uh, Liliana deserved to get saved? No, I, I don't. I like her as a character, but I think she deserved to die. I think she had plenty of time to learn and improve, and she did it until it got someone who didn't really deserve to die killed. I don't think it comes down to who deserved to live or die. Liliana was... I mean, you're right. <laughs> did Gideon deserve to be the one that went? No, not at all. And I don't think anyone anyone would argue Liliana over Gideon from a <laughs> any kind of standpoint. Uh, in terms of who we'd like to see live and who probably deserved to live more. But the importance of Gideon's arc here is that he isn't making it about himself anymore, and he recognizes that he can't be the big darn hero to beat Nicol Bolas. But there is one person who could, but only if she can survive turning on the Elder Dragon. I do agree with that. I think my counterpoint is more about, is this a, is this a redemption for Liliana, who had plenty of chances to redeem herself? I don't think so. I don't think Despite so. Despite saving the day, I don't think, I don't see her as a good, I don't see her as a good guy now. If you learn your lesson too late, then it doesn't really matter. Of course, I haven't read the novel yet. <laughs> yeah, so besides, besides, <clears throat> redirecting people to the novel. What I what I'll say about that is I don't think anyone's thinking that this absolves Liliana li Liliana of anything. You know? Don't take this as absolution, but it might perhaps be a turning point. I will have a lot more to say all about this, but I'm going to wait till our novel episode because I want to get a little more in-depth with it and talk about the narrative a little bit more. So stay tuned for that in a couple weeks. Yeah, it'll be much it'll be much more exciting to be able to talk about like the nuances of how this goes down and not just the plot beats itself. So the next card is Heartwarming Redemption, in which we see Gideon Jura surrounded by his friends, a.k.a. Gideon's Irregulars. You can see all of the figures in the art directly correlate to the figures, the four figures on the card, Gideon's Irregulars. And the flavor text reads, 
Kithian had known war every day of his life. Now he finally knew peace. And this card is just... It's very moving. Like, as much as the metaphysics of how he gets back to Theros and meets Cease's friend in the afterlife bothered me when I first saw it at the same time, like, knowing that he was able to get find peace and see his friends in the afterlife after um, sacrificing himself to save Ravnica and perhaps the multiverse in, in totality was super nice to me, even heartwarming, dare I say it. And um, the naming on this card and the flavor text on this card are perfect. And the R, obviously. It is great symmetry with tragic arrogance the beginning and end of his arc with Gideon as I mentioned doing the big dang hero thing and getting all his friends killed and then he sacrificing himself it not being about him and he is you know welcomed with open arms by all his friends I've got a question um on the Vincer scale how dead do y'all think everybody who died in this set is oh dead dead Straight up, Vincer. I'm not allowed to say. Oh, that's pretty extreme. Vincer's pretty dead. <laughs> I do not want anybody coming back, and I I also don't want Kithian, Gideon in the afterlife for Heliod to ever meet him, because Heliod doesn't deserve anything, ever. I'm kind of with Kairi on this one. It's, um, like, they, they up the stakes for War of the Spark and Gideon died and like as much as I enjoyed his character or I shouldn't say I totally enjoyed it like I prefer Elspeth but you know he he was a good (laughs) character and he wasn't the best but he was a good character and I felt that he deserved more and I felt like he was just getting interesting um with possibly Jace their relationship possibly improving improving and him possibly having to deal with the Black Blade, assuming it had survived. But it was just, like, I felt like he didn't get a fair shake of, like, he didn't get enough time in the limelight as, as you know, as other characters like Liliana feels like she's gotten a lot more time in the limelight. Um, but at the same time, as much as I like his character, I feel like bringing him back immediately he didn't die on Theros, whereas Elspeth did. Like, I, I just don't feel like it will be justified for him to be in, for him to come back, or for Domri to come back, or for anyone who died in the War of Spark. Like, if they hadn't, if they hadn't said that the extraction of Sparks were lethal, was lethal, I would have been fine with them just saying, "Oh yeah, the Sparks were taken out of them, but maybe they can regain their Spark later." No, that's not what they chose to do. So at this point, I don't feel like it would be. It, it it would diminish the accomplishment of the novel, whatever, or the story um, if they were to allow these characters to come back to life at this point. I'll also say that the rest in peace for the signature spellbook Gideon is a statue of him on Theros. It's obviously not a thing that we know to currently be happening unless somebody from the war goes to Theros and specifically builds this statue without anybody interacting with them. It could be a Johnny. Uh, he's he's friendly with a lot of folks there, so and, and is the kind of person who would be thoughtful enough to build a statue there. 
and also knows where Theros is. So, like, I think he's the only Gatewatch member who's been there. It's just not, um, I don't want to get people's hopes up at any point to be like, oh, well, he somehow made it back to Theros. The way we understand the um, heartfelt redemption is he sees this vision before he dies, and then he dies, and he's his body's on Ravnica. He has no chance of making it to Theros. Yeah, this is another thing where wait until the novel is out and see what it says, and then we can have revisit it. Yeah. Um, this is definitely going to be one of the plot points that's worth talking about after the novel is out. Like, like I'm, I'm really hesitant to get into metaphysical discussions based on the card set when we know the novel's coming. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Again, yay for timing. Speaking of metaphysical things. Our next story spotlight is D-Spark, which was one of our preview cards. We had a nice 15-minute episode where we talk about this and the next one, Prison Realm. So D-Spark, Liliana takes the, the remaining god eternals and sets them after nickel bolus um bantu bites down on bolus and drains his spark and uh nickel bolus loses his spark and the next we see him is in the next preview card uh, is in the next story spotlight which was also our preview card prison realm and we see that the Meditation Realm has been transformed. Uh, that you see Ugin horns in the background instead of Bolus horns. Uh, and Bolus is left there without the spirit gem between his horns. And we learn from the card finale of Revelation that Ugin had discovered that Bolus had accidentally left a link to himself because of the, that spirit gem that he used having a connection to the Meditation Realm, which has a connection to Ugin. And I would say that's probably something we'll learn more about later. Our last story spotlight is back on Ravnica, and that is Oath of Kaya. I don't know how many people saw this coming, so uh, just a quick Vorthos cast poll. I'm going to go through you one by one. How many of you thought Kaya would be the one to join the Gatewatch? Lorelai? Well, you, you I, I mean, I, I got... I <laughs> you, you're at the World Guide. I'd... Yeah, so I so, knew. So, uh, Brian. Um, it, well, it, I, I can say, though, that um, I, I was kind of surprised when I learned it. I, I was expecting more to join, I think. Um, I, was, I was expecting, like, one new person from the war and at least one other person to, um, to join to kind of replace Gideon. I, I was half expecting Teo to join, um, but... I guess that makes less sense because I afterwards learned how much of a noob he is. Um, yeah, I think he can get there one day. But like, yeah, I, I, I guess I guess I didn't expect that much, really, though, because there's not a lot of characters who have a good reason to join the Gatewatch. Um, but Kaya is one of them. And so that was really refreshing to see, um, I think, for, for me. Brian? Because her her kind of code had been hinted at in previous stories um, or in her initial story, rather not previous, but just her initial story. Like I had a feeling that she might be, I wasn't sure about my biggest question going into this was that I wasn't sure the gatewatch was going to be a thing after the set. So that being said, I wasn't expecting anyone to join or anyone to still be a part of it after the set. Um, but 
if it were going to be a thing, I, I'm not surprised that she did join. Um, because of the walkers that we know from the set, it, it's there aren't many that I would have pegged before her to join. Um, <laughs> I don't know anything about the Wonder. I don't. I know Vivian is super against Bolas, but I don't know that she would have joined. Sarkin seems kind of on his own thing. Davriel definitely would have joined. Don't know Taya or Kazmina. Um, Ob obviously isn't joining. Narset. Don't like. I know she's part of the story circle and Tamio was kind of anti-joining, so I don't think she would have joined. It is, like, of the Planeswalkers that we knew about, I feel like Kaya would have been my first guess. But, again, I, I really didn't have any idea that the Gatewatch was still going to be a thing after the set. Ashley? I was not surprised at all. I'm surprised that y'all were surprised. It just makes sense to me. I thought it was down to her or Vivian and... Vivian's not really important here, so yeah, I figured it was going to be her. Glad that I was right. Rare. <laughs> Carrie, what about you? I'm just dismayed that they're even close to reforming a cycle of Planeswalkers. I think that the Gatewatch should be not color balanced, and I don't think it tends to be in people who would join it, but I definitely don't think a big point of it should be, oh, Liliana and Gideon are informally off the team, and Nyssa is technically formally, or informally off the team as well, or formally off the team. Nyssa is formally off the team. I don't think we should be slotting them up one by one to try to figure out who can color balance the full wheel, and I feel like it just kind of is ill-timed. I don't know if Gideon lived if Kaya would have joined the Gatewatch because I don't know how willing they are to expand into imbalanced territory. <laughs> Again, my hatred of cycles. They had Gideon, Ajani, and Teferi who were all white or part white. I feel like I'm still irked that the cycle had to be started with five in the first place or even four in the first place to end up as five within the next block. I'm just salty over cycles. <laughs> That's all there is. <laughs> I think it'll probably be... I remember... I don't remember where exactly, but I do remember there it being mentioned that they probably went a little too hard on like trying to make it a cycle right out of the gate and fitting all of these planeswalkers into one. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. I want to say something that is going on in the live listen chat. There's a discussion of Gideon is only... Is only dead, not necessarily off the team. Uh, the implication there, I guess, that he could return as a ghost, but it, and when Kaya finds out that we are doing cycles and that she's only taking his place, then he will not be a ghost for long. Yeah. I mean, Gideon didn't file the paperwork to resign from the team, so... <laughs> Part of me really wants there to be a scene where Jace walks up to Kiora and asks her if now she wants to join the Gatewatch. Please. Just so that she has the opportunity to laugh in his face again. <laughs> because I love Kiora so much. Alright, so... Planeswalkers. Uh, we saw Nicobolus Dragon God. Who looks very cool. Kind of silhouetted in this dark color. With the Elder Spell going on behind him. 
Uh, he's a very cool card, but there's there's not really a whole lot else flavorfully to say about him. And then we have Ugin the Ineffable. Um, you know, Bolus's twin bro. Doing cool Ugin-y things. Reducing all colorless spells by two kind of references Eye of Ugin, except instead of just for Eldrazi, it's for all colorless things. And then his plus ability is a twist on the manifest mechanic, which Fate Reforge used to represent Ugin's magic. And then um, his, his minus ability gets to nuke colored permanence, which is um, plays into his colorless theme and uh, his, his weird magic that does things that other entities and pieces of matter can't interact with well and he's probably not yogmoth <laughs> yeah probably i i'm not the hugest fan of them reusing the ineffable for ugin me personally i like i felt like bolas or Embercole or something i i didn't feel like i, I felt like bolas and Embercole tended to be more inexplainable, right? And I feel like that's a much better title for one for either of those two, especially Bolas, right? As he was getting ready to finish this whole cycle before he loses his spark, but it just doesn't sit well with me, especially me being like I I, I I've been a fan mainly because of the Weatherlight Saga, specifically around the invasion period, and. That 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 title just doesn't sit well with me, especially for Ugin. But hey, I guess they got to give it to somebody if they're gonna if they're gonna reuse it. But ugh, that's just me. So the other three planeswalkers we just wanted to mention were interesting because they were previewed so late, and part of that was because of their location. We got Sarkon the Masterless, Masterless, who is just cool guy Sar- Sarkon turning into dragons. He's uh, what did you say? He's he's the horse girl of, of Planeswalkers. <laughs> Scaly. But what's interesting is Narset, Parter of the Veils, and Ashiok both have artwork set on the Meditation Realm. Ashiok before Ugin took it over, so it still has Bola's horns in the background, which is interesting. And then Narset uh, appears to be in the Meditation Realm. She's kind of got this much more abstract background it's it's not obviously ravnica or anything so those are just interesting art decisions you can see in um narset's piece the kind of floating destruction mountains in the background and then on her signature spell you can see um more of the meditation realm in the background so she is there sarkon had the dragon hands on the pools of becoming which was the other spoiler there's not much to it. It's just him doing his fire hands against the water. He's been to the meditation plane before and entered the Eldrazi part three. Um, and he said that if Bolas was there, then the pools of becoming would be on fire. But now he's just kind of there setting them aflame. I do not know if he's involved with the Ugin plot of reforming the plane, but yeah. I did not I did not look at this art closely, but I love the flavor text now that I realize he's in the meditation realm. The flavor text is, You once brought havoc to my home and ruined my mind. 
I'm here to return the favor, boss. <laughs> I just, I love the idea of Sarkhan just showing up in the meditation realm every few months just to be a dick to Bolas, who now can't do anything about it. <laughs> so I wanted to mention real quick, Guild Pact Informant is a very entertaining card. It's from Jace's uh, Planeswalker deck. Jace, way back in Agents of Artifice, summoned fairies please jay i knew you were gonna do this dig <laughs> i was gonna do this dig i was tempted to do it i was gonna be like oh that's the fairy and for the longest time i don't know what the confusion was but people assumed that since i believe he had used a fairy to track a um shipment of metal to tezzeret's headquarters or the consortium headquarters and people had thought he had a fairy yeah he had thought he used a fairy planeswalker and for the longest time, that was a, like, fanon on No Goblins Allowed and ended up on the wiki as a result. It has since been cleaned off there, but yes, a little bit chaotic and <laughs> sent me back into those um, dramatic days. Well, I just, I really love the flavor text on this, which with the fairy whispering into Jace's ear, of course you're being followed. <laughs> like, come on, dumbass. <laughs> Um, another sweet card that isn't a spotlight is Commence the Endgame. Um, it's not a spotlight, but this is the card that shows Bolas with all his pieces of his plan. This art was shown at Toy Fair earlier this year, and it was uh, it's by Noah Bradley, and it was done in a style that looked like it was just like a piece, a piece of key art or something. So I was really happy to see it as card art because it's sweet. This is the, uh, the Bolas sitting in Ravnica with all the sparks flowing towards him, the planar bridge below him, the immortal sun above him, Liliana standing on his citadel, all surrounded by Eternals. It is it is every piece of Bolas's plot in one art. It's just such a good shorthand visually in the set for what this set is about. And um, so functionally, as a storytelling piece, even though it's not a story spotlight, it still gets to show, hey, here's the bolus plot in one piece of art, which is really efficient. Hashtag sponsored by Marvel. <laughs> so the last card I want to talk about real quick is Grateful Apparition, which depicts a spirit being thankful to Kaya. Uh, and the spirit appears to be the spirit of a eternal that she must have let free. And that's only because the face has, like, the covered-up mouth like the Eternals do, and it looks very much like one of the Eternal skulls. So I just thought that was a very sweet uh, piece of art. So let's move on to final thoughts. My final thought is this poster of Planeswalkers was put on this Earth specifically to torment us. That's it. That's my only I fully thought. agree with that. I hate it so much. I know I said that at the beginning of the episode, but it's worth restating. I hate this poster more than I have it hated any other piece, I think, of Vorthos content in the history of Magic. It, it, is, it is the worst thing, and I want to destroy it. I want to, like, go through time and find whoever made this idea and just, like, smack it out of their head, Inception style. Well, it's only, like, one, or it's two pieces of Planeswalker art from the first Mythic Edition. And then it's zero from the second, and two from the third, and also three of four from Commander, and also two of two from Battle Bond. It's just like... No, it was just one from Commander. 
It was just Sahili. <laughs> no, because I had Lord Windgrace. No, Windgrace was in the Dominaria art book. Art book, okay. Yes. So we had that split <laughs> up again, okay. They torment us I even further. We're still talking about this. Yeah, and that's why I'm mad. Why are we still talking about this poster? We talked about this in an episode last summer. You know it's going to be even worse? When we get to, like, core 2020, and only one of the arts is used. Like, exactly one, and then we just never see, like, Karn, ever. Okay, what is your final thought, Lorelai? I, I hate this poster. It's stupid. <laughs> Go on, skip me, whatever. Alright, Brian? Okay, so I have two final thoughts now. My first final thought is... I want to commend Wizards on this... Spoiler season. Even though I, I felt like it was a week too long and that um, there were some things that need to be ironed out, ironed out um, I thought that this was an inspired choice and I really loved that they tried it and I hope that they do so again. My only critiques would be that if they do have some kind of publication coming out like a book or a novel or something like even an e-story or something, I would suggest that they release the story to come out first, and then we can let the cards um, picturize the story that we've already read as opposed to getting a story a week after or, yeah, a couple days after we already know the entire set and have already had the ending of the novel effectively spoiled. Um, But like I said, I I really enjoyed the spoiler season, even though I, I did feel it was a little bit too long. but. I do see that they've already taken some steps to improve this again, and I can only commend them for that. Um, my second final thought is that um, what is Judith going to do now that she's seen Gideon ride Rakdos like a bucking bronco? <laughs> I mean, I think all of the Rakdos are going to be looking at Rakdos with um, a little bit of interest now. I mean... Even though he told Gideon that no one else will ever write him, I'm sure other people are going to ask because they might not have heard him say that to Gideon. They might have just seen him writing up there and be like, oh, that's cool, Rakus is doing that? How can we get in on this action? So I really hope that we see Rakdos devouring people after they ask him if they can get a ride. So that's my final thoughts. Uh, my final thought is related in that where is Ixava? I miss her. Having a party. Yeah, exactly. Lots of characters from that return set are missing. Where's Baron? Please. <laughs> the novel, as has been mentioned on all the interviews for it, has like a hundred plus named characters. Oh, hell yeah. So lots of people appear. And the focus, though, is on, you know, is going to be on the, you know, the Gatewatch versus nickel bolus but picking up weird deep cut names in the novel sounds like a good thing to talk about in the novel episode yes let's do that (laughs) once i've had time to uh relax on the beach with the book so y'all better not make me cry on the beach (laughs) my final thought is i am so happy that we are essentially a week away from the Bolas arc being done. I think this has been one of the longest... <laughs> I mean, it, it has been one of the longest stories um, Magic Story has aimed to tell, 
And I feel like it has just dragged on with him in the background for a very, very long time. And I think everyone in the community is thankful to move on to something else soon enough, even if it's just his minions. Um. Hey, so with that, that means we got to have a new big bad. Um, Brian, who do you think that will be? I think we're... We're, well, we know we're going to a new plane that we haven't been to before, so I have no idea. Brian, say Merit Lage. Bri- she, 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 was, she was setting you up to say Merit Lage. Oh, God. <laughs> what? The one time we are going to let you say Merit Lage, Brian. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, uh, you really I'm let tired. me down. It's Merit Lage. It's, it's clearly Merit Lage. To which I say it's never merit laid. Yeah, we did the thing. I'm not cutting this out, by the way. This is going to be in the final episode. Oh, please don't. We have so many great moments on the show, and and I hope I hope everyone enjoys listening to it as much as we like making it. So if you want to give some concrete feedback with your wallet, uh, you can head over to Patreon.com/slash/TheVorthosCast. We cannot keep making this show without your support. You keep our submarine afloat. Yeah, you keep our submarine afloat. Thanks, Carrie. <laughs> I'm not starting submarine discourse. We get to do this every week for 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 y'all, and uh, we're super happy about that. And we're super happy that uh, we can all do this Vorthos thing together, especially with War of the Spark. We have seen such a huge uptick in interest in Vorthos stuff, um, both from the trailer and from all the story spotlights in the set. People want to know what's going on, so I I feel like we're entering an age where there's uh, kind of a, a huge influx into the Vorthos community, and uh, we want we want to thank everyone who supported us to this point. Um, any new folks who have joined us since uh, War of the Spark preview season started, uh, welcome. Uh, everyone who supports us on Patreon gets access to our Discord server, where Vorthos's young and old are still getting excited about Magic Story, which is just a great place to be in. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.